Hello, this is Genesis 37 and we're now to the start of the story of Joseph. And it's gonna go from this chapter pretty much to the end of the book of Genesis. It's one of the longest running narratives, or it is the longest running narrative in the book of Genesis. And it's an interesting one. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. And this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the fields when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun, moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers, and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I am looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached him, before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what happens with his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take, them, take him back to the father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe, that he was wearing. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty, there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. 
Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. The story of Joseph is so interesting and incredibly wonderful, and it's a part of our salvation history as Christians. And at the start of the story, we see favoritism. And I'd mentioned um, back in the story of Jacob earlier that favoritism um, is not good in families. And here we see that because one son is more favored and the others are less loved, that it, the result is animosity and hatred and it, it causes a lot of discord in the family situation. And uh, you've got to do all you can to avoid favoritism in families. And if you've got children that are yours naturally, you've got natural love for them, but then if you've got other children that are not natural, they're foster kids, stepkids, or they're others, grandkids, um, you've got to pray for grace to love them the same that you love your own natural children. And you've got to just make choices to say, I am going to treat them all exactly the same. And um, you, that's the right thing to do, and it's best for the children. And we can see that the result of um, Jacob's favoritism was he actually ended up losing his own son, the one that he actually loved. So terrible consequences for that. Joseph has these dreams. He starts having dreams. And in these dreams, he, it's pretty obvious what the meaning is. The sheaves of wheat bow down to him. You know, his brothers are going to bow down to him. Then the sun and the moon and the stars are bowing down to him. And this is symbolic of his father, his mother, and his brothers. You might not have realized that when you heard the dream. If you just heard it, had a dream where the sun and the moon and the stars bowed down to you, you wouldn't necessarily know what that means. But this is symbolism and this is how dreams are. We shouldn't think too literally when it comes to dreams because nearly all the dreams that we see in the Bible, that are, and there's many, many dreams, all through the whole Bible, God speaks through dreams. Just about all of them are symbolic. The only a very few are not symbolic, like when Joseph in the New Testament had an angel appear to him and say, go to Egypt, take the child. That's in the Christmas story. But most dreams are symbolic. And so we see here that the sun is a symbolism of a person. The moon is a symbolism of a person. The stars were symbols of people. 
And this symbolism of the sun and the moon and the stars, it's actually all through the Bible, not just in dreams, but in lots of places. For example, uh, Isaiah prophesies, he's talking about the nation of um, Babylon. And he says, the sun will go black. The moon will go black. The stars will fall from the sky. And he was talking about the ruler, the king. The king of Babylon's going to fall. The religious system's going to fall. All the leading key people, the stars, all the the leading lights, the leading luminaries, they're going to fall. And the nation of Babylon, of course, was destroyed just like that. And even in the New Testament, Jesus uses the same example, talking about Jerusalem. In Matthew 24, he says, the sun will go black, (laughs) the stars will fall from the sky. And he's talking about the complete shutting down of the system and, you know, all the key people being taken away, which is what happened with the destruction of Jerusalem. So anyway, we see right here at the start that Joseph's a dreamer. Dreams are symbolic, and it's the same for your dreams too. Don't read your dreams too literally. As the story goes along, uh, he gets sold into slavery, and it says that a caravan of Ishmaelites came along. But then a few verses later, it says they sold him to the Midianites. Then it mentions the Ishmaelites again. Then it mentions the Midianites again. And then it mentions the Ishmaelites took him down to Egypt. So there's these multiple mentions of Ishmaelites and several mentions of Midianites. Who is it? <laughs> Are they Ishmaelites or Midianites? It's, it's, some people have thought that this is just proves the Bible was made up. No, if you were going to make up the Bible, you'd never do something so dumb as to call one group of people by different names. No, this is just, they just interchangeably use these different names for this same group. And we interchangeably use names for groups as well today. And it's not, this isn't the only chapter in the Bible where this happens. This also happens in Judges chapter 8, where the Ishmaelites and the Midianites, this is in the story of Gideon, are also interchangeably used. And um, it's very, very simply explained as just interchangeable names. Even though there were two actual groups of people, they were also had their names used for each other as well. And then what we see here is that Jacob loses his son, his favorite son, and he refuses to be comforted. He's, he's in mourning and, and, and he says, sure, he must have been you know, ripped to pieces by a wild animal. He assumes the worst. He has no idea um, that God is in it. Uh, an, an amazing outcome. There's a, a moment of pivot right here where something so terrible seems to be happening and yet it's the beginning of the most wonderful series of events. That is so, in fact, this is going to save his life. And it's even a part of our salvation and our salvation history. Later on, when, when it, this whole story comes to an end and all the brothers are in Egypt and, and Joseph says to his brothers, he says, you intended it for evil. God intended it for good. This whole period, God was doing something that was for good, and yet it looked so evil. And Jacob was about to begin a long period of time where he suffered emotional pain and struggle and worry, like he lost his favorite son, and then he was about to lose his his favorite wife. And then, of course, the chaos that comes with the end of the Joseph story, a lot of personal struggle for Jacob. And yet all along... God was in it and he didn't know. And I think that this is a lesson for us as we close this chapter down, that there are things in our lives that are so painful and God is in it all the while 
bringing good out of it, we have to trust him. We have to get our eyes off our circumstances and we not only trust, we should even praise him. Say, Lord, thank you that you're working in this circumstance. Thank you, you're doing good things for me. I can't see it. I trust you though, I believe it. Thank you for, for what's going to come out of this. And by doing that, you take your eyes off the problem, put your eyes on the Lord, the Lord can do even more in you. So Heavenly Father, help us. We've all got pain. Some We might not have as much pain as what Jacob went through, but Lord, help us. I want to I now this morning, on behalf of everyone watching this video, I want to thank you for our pain. Lord, I thank you for your pain, that you sent your son Jesus to the cross. You knew pain that we might be delivered. And I thank you that we've also experienced pain. I thank you for it. And I thank you that through our own pain, you're also bringing about deliverance and good things for us. So this morning, though we don't understand our struggle, and though Jacob didn't understand his struggle, I thank you that you're doing a great deal of good through it all. Amen.